So I was listening to a podcast recently with the poet and writer Mary Carr, who's often known for her very salty, hilarious, um, heartbreakingly insightful writing. And Mary had a very traumatic childhood. Um, she became an alcoholic and as an adult, she ended up in a mental institution. And she said that she realized that, quote, her ways of moving through the world were not succeeding. And so she made an unexpected turn towards Catholicism in midlife. And at one point, her interviewer asks her about her faith and this theme that she writes about of sacred carnality. And she said that in Catholicism, she says there's a body on the cross. This idea that we are hunks of meat incarnate in meat that's literally what that word means incarnate means that it's not just metaphorical this idea of jesus and the eucharist she says i remember looking at the body on the cross and saying to my son before we were baptized i don't get this whole crucifixion thing it's so awful i mean the suffering beaten critter nailed up there it's just so gross why don't they just have you say the jump rope rhymes and then you're redeemed? And her son, who was nine years old at the time, said, who would pay attention to that? This is like Pulp Fiction. So apparently his grandmother had allowed him to watch Pulp Fiction one time when she didn't know about it. And he said, everyone's going to gawk at that. And then she says, then suddenly I had this thought. What else would we pay attention to as human beings but this grisly, awful, morbid thing? You're not going to look at that and say, oh, you don't know about suffering. You're God. What do you know about suffering? You're going to say, oh, you were a hunk of meat like me? Wow. That's radical. This idea of descending theology of the spirit being in these hunks of flesh. It's wow. It's a big deal. The spirit being in these hunks of flesh. Wow. That's a big deal. I mean, I can't think of a better description of Pentecost than this. So Pentecost was a Jewish festival about the early harvest. It's also known as Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. And on this day, Luke tells us in Acts 2 that God pours out God's Spirit on the church, the body of Christ, the Spirit in these hunks of flesh. So imagine the prophet Ezekiel from our Old Testament reading today. And he's standing in the middle of this valley of dry bones. And like Mary Carr's description of the crucifixion, it's awful. It's grisly to behold. It's like the aftermath of, of war or genocide and what's left, the death and the destruction and the decay. There's no hope in this picture at all. And then suddenly, there's movement. There's flesh and skin and breath and life and standing on one's feet. So Christians make a, a big deal out of Good Friday and Easter, but it's really Pentecost that seals the deal. 
So Pentecost is what some call the final saving act of Jesus, who was born into the world as one of us, who died, who rose again from the dead, who ascended into heaven as the Lord of all, and then sends his spirit to his people, as John Stott says, to work in them what he had won for them. The Spirit of God who was present in creation, who anointed the prophets, priests, and kings of Israel, who filled Jesus with power for his ministry on earth, was now available in the same way to the church as the body of Christ, bringing about nothing less than the renewal of creation, the redemption of all humanity, and the reconciliation of all things in Christ. The Spirit in hunks of flesh. And it's a big deal. So in Acts 2.4, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared on them. And a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So Luke tells us that they've got this crowd, it's Jews from every nation under the earth, and they are witnessing this insane, chaotic, supernatural event happening. I mean, this was not some solemn, quiet Episcopal liturgy where everyone's sitting and kneeling and praying and standing at the same time. People were like, they're drunk. They're drunk. How do people act when they're drunk? Out of control. Don't put the Holy Spirit into your nice, neat, tidy little box. That drives me nuts about Episcopalians sometimes. You know, give me the Celtic Christians who imagine the Holy Spirit not as a gentle dove, but as a wild goose who was loud and inappropriate and untamable. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter quotes the prophet Joel, who says, In these last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now can you imagine if the spirit was like, I'm coming! and just rushes into this room and then is like, ooh, uh, I don't know about that one. She's got a little bit of a past. She like doesn't really pray every single day. You know, this one hasn't gotten enough training. This one doesn't know enough theology. I mean, remember that up to this point, the spirit came only upon the special people. Those special people who were set apart for God's divine purposes, prophets, priests, and kings. We have a little bit of that mentality today, don't we? Like some of you may be like, I'm not a priest, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like called into the ministry like Christine is. I don't wear a collar, I don't have a stole, I don't celebrate the Eucharist. That's for all those like clergy types. And God says on Pentecost, nope. When I say all flesh, I mean all flesh. No one is excluded. No one is exempt. 
And as Peter is interpreting to the crowd what's happening, he's saying, God is not far off in some distant temple in heaven. God is right here, right now. God is not only with us, God is in us. God's in you, and now you are being set apart as prophets, priests, and kings. And your children, your sons and your daughters, Amara, Chila, Ade, Eliza, Azariah, Sophia, so many others, are going to prophesy like Ezekiel. Your young men, Tyler, Maximilian, Jordan, will see visions like the Apostle John did. Your old men, Michael Delashment. <laughs> I'm kidding, Michael is actually younger, much younger than I am, you know, are going to dream dreams like Daniel did. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in other words, those who have been on the margins, invisible, ignored, looked down upon, beat upon, at the bottom of the social ladder, they will be the very instruments through which my purposes are executed in the world. Now, there are times when, despite the fact that I wear a collar, I feel so inadequate to be doing the work that God has called me to. And I have to remind myself that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And it's not my ability, my great gifts, my strategy, my wisdom, or my social position. I mean, think about Peter on this day. Like Peter was just an unschooled fisherman who was clearly not prepared to preach his Pentecost sermon. I have no idea what that experience is like because I'm always so prepared. That's totally not true. <laughs> you know? But in this moment, the Spirit came upon him and 3,000 people came to Christ. And sometimes those things that we so desperately long for and value, like talents and gifts and smarts and a strategy and a really well thought out plan and great programs, are the very things that get in the way of us being fully available to God for God's purposes. It says, as the Spirit gave them ability. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what that means also is that thankfully, it's not just about me. It's not just about Christine. It's not just about you. In the past, the Spirit came upon a person, but now in Christ, the Spirit of God comes upon a whole people. You know, every once in a while, I'll be talking to someone who's like, I love Jesus, but I don't have anything to do with the church. And usually there's deeper things that are going on there that we have to unpack. But at some point, I have to say to them, you can't have Jesus without his church. The church, yes, is imperfect. The church, yes, fails big time. The church does damage to people, sadly. And sometimes, sometimes, oftentimes, I think, it'd be so much easier for God without the church. And yet, Jesus loves his church. Jesus gave his life for his church. And Jesus sent his spirit to continue his work on earth through the church. You cannot have one without the other. The miracle of the gospel is that God saves a people, 
made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation, people who have nothing to do with each other and frankly don't want to have anything to do with each other and makes them into one family. For he is our peace who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and created in himself one new humanity. If it wasn't for the church, we wouldn't be family. I would probably not be in relationship with many of you. And I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just that there is nothing that would have brought us together and knit us together as the family of God except Christ, except the spirit who makes us one. Now we've experienced um, an earthquake this past year of the pandemic, of racial reckoning, of this illusion that somehow we are all in control and can control things. And all of that has, been, has just been shattered. And let's be real, there are earthquakes that happen all the time. But in this one, every single person was impacted in, in some way, shape, or form. And people are asking the question, like that crowd in Acts 2, what does this mean? What does this mean? Like sometimes there are these studies that go around among like priests and pastors and it's talking about the rapid decline of the church and everyone starts wringing their hands. And one thing that they don't talk about is that there may be a decline in church attendance, but there's not a decline in spiritual hunger. There's not a decline in a search for meaning. There's not a decline in longing to know, is there more to this life than what I can see with my own eyes and touch with my hands? Like as a society, we are collectively asking this question, what does this mean? And what will our answer be? It was to this improbable community, dry bones, hunks of flesh, now animated by the spirit that Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Our testimony will involve speaking and sharing. It will involve works of justice and mercy, of being a good neighbor and a kind person and changing systems and cultural renewal and all of those things, but if it is not good news about Jesus Christ, then it is not the good news of Jesus Christ. Admission involves many, many things, but ultimately it points to a person, to someone, to his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And the primary sign of being filled with the Spirit, as we see in Acts 2, is testifying in our words, in deeds, in the power of the Spirit about Jesus. Because that's what the Spirit does. As Jesus says, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify, to bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And so on this day of Pentecost, you know, as we step out into this new world that we're in, as things are starting to reopen, as we go into these, come into these spaces together once again, the cry of our hearts as the church is, come, Holy Spirit. Come, make the name of Jesus known. 
come, stretch out your hand and pour out your power of healing and love and peace and justice, acts of kindness and mercy, all of that. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our world with the healing that it so desperately needs, and may that begin in me. And so I want to invite you now, wherever you are right now, for us to pray this prayer together. And just in a, in a and symbolic act or physical act of welcoming the Holy Spirit, affirming the Spirit of God that lives in us already and that we need to be filled with again and again. I just invite you to hold out your hands and let us pray the prayer of the church. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you now. We long for you now. Our world needs you. Our world longs for you, Jesus. And God, we offer ourselves to you this day. God saying, you know what? We are weak. We are foolish. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what the future holds. But God, you know, and you are strong, and you are wise, and you are powerful, and you are loving, and you are able to break down dividing walls of hostility. You are able to shine light in the darkness. You are able to heal the wounds that run so deep in our lives and in our world and in our country. And God, we just say we need you now. And so come, Holy Spirit, fill us, refresh us, empower us to go and be witnesses in New York City, in the United States, in our world to the ends of the earth may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and all this god we pray and ask in the name of our lord and savior our beloved jesus christ amen <laughs>